I'm Jeff Cohen. Pearl Gasner is co-director at JLIC at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. She's also an advisor at Hasbro Fellowships Canada, where she advises high schoolers on Israel advocacy. Growing up, she was surrounded with all different levels of Judaism, and it was a trip to Israel that cemented her interest in a path towards observance. She's here today to share her story. Pearl, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I'm very excited to get into a couple of these organizations that I mentioned in the introduction, but as we like to do with all of our guests, let's get to know you a little bit first. And I think even before we talk about you, it would be helpful to talk a little bit about your grandparents and parents' story, because I think that'll frame kind of the trajectory of your own life. So can you give us a sense of their background and what their life stories were? Yeah, so on my mom's side, my mom is South African, and her family, her parents, very typical South African, very traditional families. Everyone there grew up going to an Orthodox shul, even if they weren't Orthodox themselves, and just kind of led much more traditional lives in terms of their connection to Shabbos and holidays. And, you know, their homes were kosher, at least hers was, and it was quite common in kind of the community that my mom grew up in. My dad is Canadian. His parents also um, were born in Canada. Their parents moved from Europe. My dad grew up quite similar to my mom, which was less typical, I think, in Toronto where he was growing up, but also grew up going to conservative shul every Shabbos and all of the holidays. And so they kind of created a home where that was there for us as well. So I went to Jewish day schools all the way through high school. I went to shul, conservative shul, pretty much every Shabbos morning. Had Shabbat dinner, had Shabbat lunch. We didn't keep Shabbos, but we had certain things that we didn't do on Shabbos. We wouldn't spend money on Shabbos. So that kind of eliminated a lot of things. We wouldn't like go to movies or, you know, go shopping. It was really kind of a family day. We often had meals with my grandparents or with friends of the family. Definitely not Orthodox, but also very, very traditional. So somewhere between secular and Orthodox, it sounds like you landed somewhere in the middle. I'm just wondering, how did your parents' lives intersect? It sounds like they were on opposite ends of the earth at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, So my mom moved to Toronto, I think in her mid-20s. South Africa at the time didn't have so many great opportunities for young professionals. And so she was looking to move somewhere else. And her brother had moved to Toronto a few years before with his wife and convinced him to come and check it out. And she ended up staying. And she and my father were set up. It was a blind date. And they met and got married. All right. So let's now go back into your childhood. So now I have an understanding of why your life is starting in Canada. So now go into a little bit more of the details of your schooling and some of the things you were saying were going on inside the home. Yeah, so I went to community Jewish day schools. So my elementary school was actually, I think they identify as pluralistic. So there were some Orthodox teachers, some Reform teachers and everything in between. And we learned some things kind of in a more traditional way and some things in a more uh non-traditional way. I don't know exactly how. So now thinking back, I kind of wonder how some of the decisions were made. Why did we do some things in such a, you know, really orthodox way and other things not at all? But it attracted a range of student body from modern orthodox to not secular because their parents were spending a lot of money sending them to Jewish day school, but definitely much less traditional or observant than my family was and everything in between. I was typically one of the more religious ones in the class, I would say, just based on kind of 
Shabbos friends would have to come to our house. We couldn't go to their house and we went to shul more than them, but definitely a range. And then my high school um, was a community high school. So again, had sort of a range of perspectives and teachers and students. And my home when I was younger, I would say was more traditional. I think as we got older, I'm the oldest of four kids. And I definitely saw with my younger siblings, some of the rules or restrictions that I had were a little bit looser with them. And I think that actually made me realize how important they were to me, where I would kind of get upset, not because they were allowed to do things I couldn't do, but I was saying like, this was so important. This was so nice. Why are we, you know, why are we not doing this anymore? Why are we not as strict about this anymore? And that was, I think, part of what made me realize how important it was to me to have Shabbos meals as a family, to be spending that day together, to not go to the mall just because our friends were going. And that sort of solidified for me how I really valued it and how it was really important to me, the observance that we did have. Did you understand as a kid that there were things your family wasn't doing and that other families were doing more, but maybe you thought, well, this is just what my family does and it's okay? Like, at what age did you start thinking to yourself, Is this what I want to be doing? Does this make sense? Why are these the rules within our house? Most of my extended family growing up, who I was very close with, were actually more observant than us. Uh, Most of my parents' siblings, interestingly, became Shomer Shabbos on their own, including one of my sets of grandparents, my mom's parents, at different stages. So I have cousins who are kind of very, very modern Orthodox, and I have cousins who are, you know, are black hats more in the yeshivish community. So I definitely was very much aware of the different ways of observing and the different halachot and areas of Shabbos and Kashrut and other things that we weren't personally keeping, but I, I knew a lot about them, which I think actually made it a lot easier for me later on to kind of transition more in that direction. Part of when I started thinking more about what I wanted for myself or kind of started realizing why are we doing certain things and not doing others, definitely part of it was when our standards started to change a little bit for my younger siblings was when I kind of realized there's not a hard line here. It's sort of just picking and choosing, which worked really well for me. I think, you know, I I wouldn't change anything about the way that I grew up, but I did realize that when you're picking and choosing and there is no red line, it's hard to pass that on to the next generation. It's hard to tell your children, you can't do this, but this is okay. And then when I was towards the end of high school, I was already sort of starting to think about when I'm older and have a family, I really liked the idea of keeping Shabbos. At that point, it was less about, you know, God says this, or this is a rule we have to keep, and more just about the family environment that it created. I saw a lot of good in that. And it was probably only once I actually started taking on more observance a few years down the line that I started to realize, oh, maybe this is actually, you know, real and actually from Hashem as opposed to just a lifestyle decision. And you just mentioned you were having these feelings like towards the end of high school. So this is the time you're starting to think about college, which also becomes the first time that you're away from home and could actually start to have whatever environment you want, follow whatever you want, and not necessarily be driven by what's going on within your family. So did did things accelerate at that point when you got to college? Like, how did you take what you were feeling when you then were on your own? Yeah, so I actually went to university 
in Toronto. So I actually did live at home for the first few years. And I was in a program that was very challenging for me and very much project-based. There wasn't a lot of studying. It was a lot of drawing and computer work. And I was starting to think more and more about wanting to keep Shabbos. My mom actually started slowly taking on more Shabbos observance around that time as well. And I knew at that point that I wanted it, but I felt like I was spending basically all day, every day working on my school projects. And I just didn't see a way to be able to cut out an entire, you know, 25 hours from that. It was just way too overwhelming for me. And then when I was in first year, I met a girl who was a year ahead of me in the program. We were paired up to work on a project together and she was clearly an observant Jew. She was the only one in the entire program (laughs) all four years. And when I met her, I was just amazed um, that she was able to keep Shabbos. She told me she was married. I had no idea how she was able to keep up, you know, a married life and be in this program and keep Shabbos. But I just thought, you know, she's special. (laughs) Like I couldn't do that. But then I ran into her about a year or a year and a half later. Uh, We were on the subway together and I asked her how she was doing and she mentioned that she had a baby. And I said, wow, so you must have taken, you know, time off from the program. And she said, actually, no, I just took a couple weeks off, missed a few classes and, you know, I'm still in the year that I was in. And I was blown away by that. And literally like on that subway ride, I realized that I had no excuse that if she was able to keep Shabbos, keep all the Chagim, be married, have a baby and be doing really well in school, then I could do it too, living at my parents' house, having it, you know, so much easier in my eyes. Um, Literally that Chavez, I started keeping a lot of things that I wasn't before. And then when I was in third year, I went on exchange. Um, I did a semester abroad in Ireland, of all places, which there's a very small Jewish community. It's wonderful, but it's very, very small. It would seem like keeping Chavez, keeping kosher, you know, dressing modestly there would be much more difficult than it was in Toronto with this vibrant, huge Jewish community. And yet it was actually the best thing for me. Before going, I thought, okay, I just started keeping Shabbos three months ago. What am I doing going to this place? But I really wanted to go at that point. Um, So I went and it actually ended up being really, really such an incredible experience because I was away from everyone and everything, anyone that knew me. And so I was really kind of able to experiment and try things and try dressing differently and no one even knew what really, no one that I was interacting with knew what an observant Jew was or did or looked like. So I was able to kind of figure things out without any external pressure. And after my semester there, I spent a summer in Israel doing a lot of learning. And then when I came back, I was much more kind of secure in who I was as an observant Jew. And I was able to integrate back into my life. It just allowed me to do things in a way and at a pace that worked for me and that I didn't feel any pressure from anyone else. And I think for me, I was able to actually take things on a lot more quickly than other people who are becoming observant. Often it's, you know, we're said do things really slowly and take your time. But I think because I had had several years already of thinking that this was how I wanted to live my life and had a great Jewish education and had grown up surrounded by all different types of Orthodox people, I didn't need that slow transition, but maybe being in Toronto around all of my friends and family, I might have felt pressured to kind of not seem like I was doing things too quickly or in the wrong order and the wrong pace. So being away really allowed me to have the freedom to do things in a way that worked for me. Let's also just break this down in a little bit more detail. You talked about taking on Shabbos and then you said, I took things on like rather quickly. Like what were the steps and the things that you started adding into what you were holding on in terms of religion? I definitely started with Shabbos. I started keeping most aspects of Shabbos. I think the one thing that 
took a little bit longer for me was writing just because again the program that I was in that was so much of my work and it felt so overwhelming to cut out one whole day a week of doing homework so I would turn off my phone and my computer and I wouldn't use lights or cook or anything like that but it took me probably another month before I stopped writing or drawing. I mean, there were definitely smaller things I didn't know and that I had to learn later on. A lot of what I knew I had observed through my relatives or friends who were more observant. And there are some things that, um, you know, like bore not separating on Shabbos. You're not necessarily going to just observe that by spending a lot of time with people who keep Shabbos. So there were things that I had to learn later on when I was in Israel or when I came back and was learning with different people. But definitely kind of the bigger aspects of Shabbos, I think I started keeping right away. I think that probably started around the Chagim, so around October. And then I went to Ireland in January. And when I was there, I decided to try out wearing, dressing modestly. Kashrut was an interesting one because I actually spoke to a Rebbitzin that I was close with just before going to Ireland. And I said, you know, I think I'm ready to stop eating dairy or vegetarian food in unkosher restaurants. And I was actually really surprised. She told me to wait. So it's interesting. Sometimes you think you're going to ask a question of, you know, someone and you know they're going to tell you to just take on more and be stricter in your observance. But she actually said that going away to this place where there are no kosher restaurants, very little kosher food to buy, and I was going to be sharing a kitchen with non-Jewish people, that was actually not the right time to become stricter in my kashrut. She said, don't lower your standard. So whatever you grew up doing and kept doing as a young adult, don't go backwards. But maybe have in mind that when you finish your semester there, that's when you know that you're going to increase your kashrut observance. And I think that was really, really great advice because at the time it just would have been way too difficult and overwhelming and I didn't have anyone that could have been able to guide me properly there. So that was one thing that I waited longer to take on. And in terms of those 25 hours that you were giving up with your studies, I've interviewed artists, piano players, musicians, etc. And they tell me that was their biggest fear because Friday night and Saturday are like major performing days. And if they give that up, what's going to happen to their career? And then almost like counterintuitively, their career takes off once they keep Shabbos. So I'm, I'm wondering for you, you had all these fears of how will I keep up with my schoolwork if I'm going to give up these 25 hours of study time during the week? What actually happened once you committed to Shabbos and then went back to studying in this in this new cycle? Yeah, it was actually so incredible. It was very, very similar to what you described that other people experienced, where all of a sudden my schoolwork just took me less time. Like <laughs> Hashem was helping me. I don't know. I became more efficient. I don't know what it was. But all of a sudden I was able to do my work in six days instead of seven. And it really was not an issue at all. And then you referenced Israel. So tell me a little more about how that impacted your continued growth and what you experienced there and exactly what you were doing during your time in Israel? So I did a few different things during my summer in Israel. I had heard about a program, unfortunately it no longer exists because it's incredible, but it was called Jewel. It was connected to Asha Torah. It wasn't, I don't exactly know the relationship. It wasn't directly an Asha program, but I think it had been started by them and it was, there was still a, a connection. It was a three, about three week program with 20 or so young women ages 20 to 30. And we were all living together in the old city of Jerusalem, learning together. Uh, most of our classes took place in the Aish building in the old city with all of their incredible teachers. And we traveled, we went on trips. We had three incredible madrichot who lived with us and who we would speak to. It was a really, really amazing program. So that program was the first three, three and a half weeks that I was in Israel. And that was really, really great. And then after that, I spent a few weeks in seminary in Neve, 
also in Jerusalem, which was another incredible experience. They have such amazing teachers and I met really inspiring people. They have such a wide range of people there from very, very beginners all the way to people who are much more advanced and have been there for a few years already. So it was it was really inspiring to get to see all of these different people on different stages of their journey and learn from the teachers there. And then I spent the last couple of weeks of my summer there on an Israel advocacy training program called Hasbara Fellowships. And that was a little bit of culture shock because I had spent almost two months in this very kind of sheltered, all-women environment of people who were all so focused on growing and learning and, you know, becoming more observant or at least exploring that. And then I was on this trip with probably around 30 Canadian and American undergraduate college students who were there to learn about Israel advocacy. And it was so incredible. I ended up working for the organization afterwards. It sort of solidified for me everything that I had been learning on Jewel and at Neve about how I wanted to live my life, how I wanted to kind of structure things when I got back home because I'd been away at this point for about six months um, and I, I really felt ready. It was it was a good almost training or practice for being home and being the observant person who was surrounded by non or less observant people and kind of explaining what I was doing and why I was doing it and setting certain boundaries for myself when I was in this more kind of outside world environment. I was no longer in a sheltered seminary kind of environment. So it was a good preparation for going back to Toronto after. It sounds like you're saying you were now surrounded by a lot of secular Jews at the end of your time in Israel, and it solidified for you that you made the right decision in moving further observing because you saw, I guess, how your life would unfold if you were going in the other direction? So that actually happened earlier on for me. Um, when I was I think in my first year of undergrad, recently out of high school, I went on a birthright trip. And that was my first time being surrounded by totally secular Jews. I would say being on the Hasbara trip, it was more just about practice <laughs> for being in a more secular environment. When I came back, I still had another year of my undergraduate degree. Most of my friends are somewhere between like secular to conservative Jews. And thank God we still, I'm still friends with most of them today, but it was more just preparation for being in that kind of environment. I think when you're in seminary, you're in sort of this bubble where it's really, everything's really easy <laughs> because everyone is understanding and, and knows, you know, what you're experiencing and is going through something very similar. Whereas being on the Hasbara trip was getting back into the broader reality of what my life would be. <laughs> How did your parents and siblings feel about this growth that was going on for you? As you mentioned that within your home, things were loosening up a little bit for your siblings. That was something you talked about during your teen years. And now you're going further and further towards observance while it sounds like the family's not necessarily doing the same. Like, How are your parents reacting to what's happening for you personally? So there definitely was a time where things were loosening a little bit, but then they sort of went in the other direction. My mom, after she lost her mom when I was towards the end of high school, decided out of respect for her mom, who had later in life become observant, that she was going to fully observe all of the laws of mourning for the year, along with her sister and brother who were doing that as well. And she felt that the Jewish way of dealing with death and mourning was really correct and comforting and provided exactly what she needed. And that led her to be more open to other forms of observance. And then she actually went on a JWRP trip 
a few years later, which led her to, you know, wanting even more um, for our family. And in our home, she came back. She told my dad that he had to go on the men's trip because she knew that if he came back, he would also (laughs) have that Uh same realization, which um, he did. Um, So my parents both now keep Shabbos. They were very, very supportive. I think my parents just saw it as a continuation of the values that they instilled in us. And so thank God they were totally supportive. It, It was never an issue for me. Of all the people I've interviewed, that's probably about as well as the story can go, that as the child is becoming <laughs> observant, the parents like follow suit. Like you said, that's not what usually is happening, and there can often be that period of tension, which is often solved by the first grandkid, but you didn't have to go through that. That's what I tell people who, who you know, I, I was an advisor in NCSY, and sometimes I would have, you know, students who were having issues with their parents and struggling and Obviously, I would always encourage them to be as accommodating and respectful, and you're the one who's changing, so you have to accommodate your family. But a big thing I I have heard so many times and have told them is, you know, don't worry, when they have grandchildren, they'll want a relationship with them, they'll come around. Thank God I, I didn't have to wait that long, but that definitely has been the experience of most people I know who have had similar journeys. And let's transition now and go into your career post university and also how that special someone comes into your life and what you're doing now. My undergraduate degree, I was studying interior design, and I knew from very early on that it was not for me. I'm still not exactly sure why I decided to go into it, but thank God I did because it led me to all of the experiences that I had. But I sort of was going through it. I didn't really have anything else that was really speaking to me, so it didn't make sense to switch to another program that I also wasn't sure about. So I decided to just finish. It's an undergraduate degree. It's a bachelor's degree, and then I'll, I'll do something else from there. And so I was at school, I was studying interior design, but also kind of looking for something else. And when I was in second year at the time, there was a motion that some Jewish students were putting forward to our student union to have the student government co-sponsor with Hillel uh, Holocaust Education Week, meaning that they would help to bring in speakers and advertise to the broader student body about Holocaust Education Week. And there was a big push to have as many Jewish students at the vote as possible. I didn't really understand it. I didn't really see why being there was so important. In my mind, Holocaust education is not controversial. Why would anyone be opposed to this? Like, I didn't really think I had to be there. But at the same time, I, I you know, I thought, okay, I should go and show my support. So I decided to go to the meeting. And While I was there, I was absolutely shocked. The Campus Students for Justice in Palestine Club organized a walkout during the vote so that there were not enough people in the room in order to have the quorum that we needed to have the vote. So basically en masse, a bunch of students first spoke out about why the university should not host Holocaust Education Week, and then they all left the room. I was really upset by this, and I was motivated to try and Um, do something about it. Because the vote couldn't happen, it was going to be voted on privately at the next student government meeting. So I pulled out my grade 12 Jewish history notes where I learned about Holocaust, I learned about Israel, Israeli history, politics, and I composed this letter that I sent to all of the members of student government in order to try and convince them to vote in support of this resolution. And that made me realize that this was something I was really passionate about and also really good at. I've always been good at writing and speaking. I enjoy history and research. And and so I decided to get involved with Israel advocacy. As I mentioned, I went on the Hasbro Fellowships trip. When I came back, I was even more motivated that this is what I want to do. I want to educate others about Israel and empower people to be proud and confident in their support of Israel. Um, so I started working for the organization 
first running their high school department, really kind of starting and running the high school department that transitioned into more of a broader education role. So today our organization is kind of restructuring and becoming a new organization that will be launching soon, but there I'll be the director of education. So coming up with new programs and initiatives and speaking to different audiences. And that was kind of one area where I I found that this is what I want to do with my life. And at the same time, when I came back from Israel, I also got involved as an NCSY advisor. I was going on Shabbatons and learning with teens, and I staffed a summer trip to Israel. And I was also so, so passionate about learning with people who want to learn more about Judaism. I started doing some things on the side. A friend and I started these Rosh Chodesh discussion groups where we would get a bunch of young women together to talk about different Jewish topics and really any way that I could be involved in Jewish education, I wanted to. I started, I'm now in the middle of a master's of Jewish education through Yeshiva University and through my involvement as an NCSY advisor, as well as being a student who was involved in JLIC, Jewish Learning Initiative on campus, I met my husband who was both an NCSY advisor and he was on the board of JLIC, as was I. We kind of knew each other a little bit just from our involvement and then we were set up and after we got married, we're both from Toronto, but we moved to Hamilton, which is a smaller city about an hour outside of Toronto for my husband to start medical school. And we can't remember whose idea it was, if it was ours or if it was Rabbi Greenberg who runs JLIC in Canada. But we had been talking about how there was a growing number of Orthodox Jewish undergraduate students at McMaster and how it could be a great opportunity to bring JLIC to McMaster. There had never been one here before. And so when we moved here, we opened a branch of JLIC at McMaster. That's kind of part time. We both were doing other things in addition, but that's what we've been doing for the past three years on a part time basis here in Hamilton. And so you talked about your husband and two of you like, co-running this, what was his religious background compared to you at the time you met? You've had this whole trajectory to becoming more observant. Did he have something similar or was he religious like from the beginning? So he grew up definitely more religious than me. He grew up in a modern Orthodox home. He was very involved in Bnei Kiva, went to Bnei Kiva schools growing up. And then during his, he went to yeshiva for a year after high school and decided that he wanted to kind of become even more observant and continue learning and growing while he was there. And so, yeah, it's funny when we started dating, I think I had only been Shomer Shabbos for maybe a year and a half. Like it it definitely was kind of fast. I definitely thought that it would be better for me to be with someone who had either grown up religious or had been religious for a lot longer than me, just because I didn't always connect when I met people who were at a similar stage as me in terms of time, like people who had just started learning a year and a half ago, I often didn't necessarily connect with them as well as I did with people who had grown up religious their whole, whole lives or at least had become Balchuba. It was easier for me to fit into his world and his friends and his family than it would have been for someone who came from a less observant background. And you also talked about this eye-opening experience you had when you were on campus and started to get involved in advocacy when you were trying to do this Holocaust program. What are you seeing now that you're with JLIC and you're on the front lines of dealing with kids who are trying to keep their observance or grow? What is that experience like for them and what are you observing in watching them compared to what your own experiences were when you were a student? 
Yeah, so it's interesting at McMaster, we have a pretty big group of students who are also Bali Chuva. A lot of them were involved in NCSY in high school and then went to seminary or yeshiva after and became observant that way. And then we also have quite a big group of students who come from similar backgrounds to my husband. So went to modern Orthodox schools their whole lives. And we see sort of two different patterns. There are some students who come here and they're so inspired and want to keep learning and want to keep growing and are really motivated and they have to be really self-motivated I think to be at a campus like McMaster in order to keep growing and coming to shul and you know coming to all of the programs that we offer and then there is another group of students that I think sort of the way Rabbi Greenberg describes it is they kind of come here to escape (laughs) because now you know I'm away from home and I'm away from my family and it's definitely harder here there's thank God we have great access to kosher food and there's a great shul, but it's harder. It's not everywhere. It's not handed to you by your parents or by your peers. And so I think for some people, they take that as an opportunity to sort of stop coming to Minyan and stop learning because they now have this freedom. You know, we're here to definitely try and provide more opportunities and make it easier for them. But I think being away from home, being on a campus with so many other students and so many other Jewish students even who are not necessarily observant, it definitely requires a lot more motivation on the part of the students in order to maintain that connection. And on the Israel advocacy side, you've talked about how you found that passion at a young age. People don't even find their passion sometimes throughout their entire lives, but you found that at a really young age. Like what really grabs you about that topic? Since I was really young, I had a really strong sense of justice and you know, I, it always really bothered me. I remember my dad speaking about this at my bat mitzvah. He made a speech or he spoke about how I was always really bothered when something wasn't just or didn't seem fair or, you know, the, the right thing wasn't happening. Seeing so much misinformation out there and so many people who are misinformed or who are trying to misinform others, I think it really sparks that sense of justice in me that like, how can this false information and this these lies be spread and believed by people? Like, it's just not right. And I think I'm really bothered by that. And I think that tied with my strong Jewish identity and connection to Israel and to the Jewish people, it sort of just is a really natural fit for me, as well as fitting with my natural skills of writing and speaking and educating others. Since I was really young, I was always like in that peer tutor role of helping my friends with their homework and then more formally in high school. Um, So I think it, it just kind of brought together a lot of my natural skills and passions and values in a way that interior design definitely did not. (laughs) Again, I I don't know why I was doing that, but it led me to where I am today. So I guess that's why. Last question before we close with the lightning round. You talked about pursuing a master's degree and also your husband is in medical school. So what's next for you as you both get your degrees? Where do you see yourselves living? What do you hope to accomplish over the next, say, three to five years? I am pursuing my master's quite slowly. It's very much part-time. I've been working in Israel advocacy full-time, doing JLIC part-time. Thank God we also had a baby six months ago. So it's sort of one course at a time. Hopefully I'll finish in the next couple of years. It's all online, so I can kind of do it at my own pace, which is great. My husband will be applying and hopefully, God willing, starting residency next year, about a year, a year and a bit from now. We don't really have a say in in where we'll end up, so I'm not exactly sure. Thank God for me, my role with the organization that I'm with, I'm able to work remotely most of the time. It's a lot of work at my computer and Zoom presentations and things like that. I definitely see myself staying 
where I'm at. Unfortunately, our time at JLIC has come to an end, at least for now. This is our last semester on campus, just because with all of our different time commitments in the coming year, we won't be able to offer the students what they need. But definitely, I'm always kind of trying to juggle the balance and the two passions that I have, which they're really the same passion, but there's two different branches of kind of the more Israel side of Jewish education and the more Torah-based side of Jewish education. So I think in the next few years, it seems like I'll be more focused on the Israel side, but I definitely am always seeking out opportunities to give shiurim, speak in different places on the more Torah side of things. I think it'll probably be constantly shifting and changing, but somewhere in that realm, (laughs) I, I hope to remain. And my degree that I'm working on, I think will open up more opportunities and also just give me a lot of foundational skills that I don't have. I'm sort of making up how to come up with a curriculum for, you know, my high school students or how to assess or evaluate their learning. And the program is really giving me a lot of those skills that I need, I think, to be more effective in the roles that I already have. It's not so much about seeking out a different path or different roles, but rather just being better at the jobs that I have. I have no doubt after listening to your story that you and your husband are going to find your way to contribute to the Jewish people. That's pretty clear from how goal-oriented you are and how you've grown over time. So I have no doubt listening to your story. And let's now close with the lightning round. Are you ready? Okay, I hope so. (laughs) So you talked about going to Israel a few times, and now you're on campus. What's the biggest change you see in young adults when they have that first experience in Israel and then come back? On these trips where students are in Israel and they're learning and they're engaged, I think they come back and they're so ready to, you know, make a difference and really act. And then I think with some students that that really continues. And then with others, we sort of see that they get busy with school or other commitments and it becomes harder for them to maintain that passion. And I think that's something that we really need to think about as people who are working in this space is how do we make it as easy and natural as possible for students to come back to campus and continue feeling motivated and wanting to make a difference and trying to figure out why with some students does that happen and why with others do we sort of get disappointed like they had so much potential on the trip and they were going to do so many great things and then they sort of just disappeared from our radar so I think that's a change sometimes that we see when they get back and I I would love to kind of think about and and figure out how to try and avoid that as much as possible. And you're someone who's on the front lines because you're based on a college campus. So what do you see as the biggest challenge facing Jewish students on college campus today? There are a lot of challenges. (laughs) Speaking specifically from what I see at McMaster, and I think this is very different for students who stay home for university or who go to, you know, a Jewish university, is that the biggest challenge is just when students have grown up in a Jewish Orthodox community They go to shul with their families, they have Shabbos meals with their families, they are learning in school. All of a sudden you're in this environment where learning isn't naturally built into your schedule. Shabbos can really be whatever you want it to be. No one knows if you showed up to Minyan or not. I think the biggest challenge is really just making that shift from it being easy and going with the flow to having to really motivate yourself and feel that passion within yourself because otherwise no one's really going to notice or care or even if they do care there's nothing they can really do about it from afar and so it really becomes all on the students and let's close with a lighter question so can you share a shabbos dish that's served in canada that americans might not be familiar with a shabbos dish in canada interesting we don't really have 
Canadian cuisine. It's kind of sad. Like, there are a few things that are known as classics. Like, poutine is one. It's not kosher. This is such a disappointing answer. <laughs> really similar. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> so, Pearl, you are out of the lightning round. And I want to thank you so much for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.